three years that on Thursday nights, at least three years, uh, that we've been in, in uh, the Old Testament. And so now we continue to mo move through the minor prophets, um, not that they are any less than the major prophets, it just has to kind of do with the length of their books. But they are relevant and they are major in so many eyes, in so many ways. And so last week, we finished the amazing book of Hosea. Um, so if you will, turn, in, turn a page if you were with us, turn just to the next book of, of Joel, old Joel, uh, Joel in Spanish if you want. Uh, but anyways, um, true to being a minor prophet, if you will, um, it is a short book of only three, three chapters. Uh, tonight we will be covering the first 13 verses. Um, and so let's get into chapter 1. I'm just going to read verse 1. We'll sit there for a little bit and then we'll move on to the rest of the verses for this evening. And so, again, you should be in Joel chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethiel, or Pethuel. I love the fact that he starts off the way he starts off. That the word of the Lord came to Joel. Joel, like Hosea, only mentions his father. And, and, and in a sense, it's to distinguish him from anybody else that was named Joel. So, so again, most of the time when we hear that, as Hosea did, we didn't know a lot about Hosea's father, nor do we know a lot about Hosea, uh, Joel. Now, the, the unfortunate thing here, again, is that we don't know much about Joel, just like we didn't know much about, about Hosea. Um, because his father, it's not like, like there was a, a lineage, there was a lineage, but we don't know that. We don't know which tribe or which family either one of those guys came from. And so they just kind of give us the short little introduction of who they are. But unlike Hosea, who gave us the names of five different kings four of them from the southern kingdom and five of them from the northern kingdom. It, it helped us understand the timeline of when Hosea was teaching. And, and, and his, if you remember, his time frame was about 40 years that he was on the scene. Now, he didn't write every little thing, but he just hit spots throughout the years through, so that when we get to the end of Hosea, it's at a certain time period but Joel doesn't mention anybody. He doesn't mention any king. He doesn't mention any prophets. He doesn't mention any priests to kind of give us some kind of an indication, a suggestion, a hint even, of when we should place this book. What time frame should we place it at? Kind of bums me out because I'm the type of guy, I want to know times. I want to know when, from when to when. And so, you know, I, I tell you guys most of the time when I get into a book, oh my gosh, this is my favorite book. The jury's still out on Joel. He doesn't give me enough detail. I, I, was, I was kind of getting into this. It's like, man, I'm excited about Joel, man. And I've read through it throughout the years, but never like, and it's like, Joel, tell me something a little bit more. I, I want to know when you wrote this. So we are left to speculate that Joel is a, the prophet Joel is a pre-exilic or pre-exile prophet because of some of the things that are said and because of some of the things that are not said. So they give Joel the powers that be, whoever was kind of looking into all of this, when, when, when the prophets start, there's a, a timeline with, in, in my Bible. So they place Joel in this timeline from about 850 B.C. to about 700 B.C. That's 150 years. 
I don't think he lived to be that long. I don't think that's the time, you know, that he, that he lived. He, he lived in that time. But again, give me more specifics so we can narrow it down to specific things. Now, we're going to hear some things in the book of Joel that we're going, well, it could be this. And then we read something else. It's like, well, it could be that. And, and, and again, it's the Word of God, and, it's, and we're going to get fed. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to get, give it my, my sh- the best that I possibly could to kind of give you guys where, where we're at. But it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And I don't like that for me. <laughs> Again, Joel, he, he could have been the first prophet because that's the rank. If he, if he started in 850 B.C., that's probably, he was probably one of the first prophets among the major and minor prophets. Or he was a contemporary in that time frame of Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah. So, because he's in that time, it's 150 years. The, the northern kingdom in that time frame saw 13 kings. The southern kingdom saw 10 kings. Well, actually nine. One of them was a queen, Athaliah, who, who, who reigned for about six years in that time frame. But let's never mind about that. But Joel, couldn't you just give us one king? Out of all the kings, I don't care if you're, because he's mostly from the northern or from the southern kingdom, just from what we read. But out of all these kings, you couldn't have given us one. Again, I don't know what to think about Joel right now. I don't know if if, if you've ever read through the book of Hebrews, and I know there's some staunch people. It's like it was Paul. It's like no, nobody really knows. And when I taught through Hebrews, it was like the writer of Hebrews. And again, you're almost going like, man, I, I wish I knew a little bit more. But that's just me. Because, again, I, I get into these areas and I'm going, okay, I need times, I need maps, I need all of those things. He doesn't give us a lot. But that's not to say that he's re- irrelevant or, or he, he skirted a lot of issues. Guys, he touches some hardcore stuff. But he just doesn't give us all the detail that I wanted. Now, from what we do know from the prophet Joel and what he writes, again, more than likely he is from the southern kingdom only because he does mention Jerusalem or Zion and or. He he mentions the house of the Lord, the holy mountain, and he mentions the priests. And so for more more than likely he was from the southern kingdom and he, he dealt with the people there and the situations that are going on. The name Joel means Jehovah is God, which we can carefully or, or safely assume that's whom he served. Jehovah, God. He never included himself in the priesthood, so it's safe to assume that he wasn't a priest. He calls upon them for certain things and, and, and instruction and stuff. But he wasn't a priest, but we do know that he is a prophet. He is a spokesman of God. He is a guy who God spoke to him and through him. For the most part, Joel would only be known basically as an instrument of God, which is not a bad thing. Again, we know that he's a prophet, but he is an instrument. He is a vessel. He is one who, who, however he came about, however God separated him, however God called him, he ends up being a, a, a vessel of God, an instrument of God who doesn't have all the accolades, who doesn't have all the history, who doesn't have all these things going for him, but we know that God used him. And this is what we do know that the word of the Lord came to Joel. And however that came about, because oftentimes when we're in the Old Testament, it's like, how exactly did that happen? Was it audible? Was it, was it miraculous? How was it? 
Because oftentimes we, we think in the, in, in the New Testament when the Lord speaks, oftentimes He speaks through the, the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Holy Spirit lives and dwells inside of us. And so because we, we read His Word and we have it here, God speaks to us. But how did He do that with Joel? Did, did He show Himself through an angel? Did He show Himself through signs and wonders? How was it that, that the Word of the Lord came to Joel. It doesn't give us an indication that he had a vision or a dream, but we do know that the word of the Lord came to him. And because it did, he was willing to simply be the voice which uttered the words of the Lord. In other words, he was content to live under the eyes of God. And his concern, his main concern, was to relay what God had given him to the people. And he concerned himself with that. It's a harsh message, so to speak. There, there's comfort in it, but, but there's, there's, there's a harshness to it. There's a tone to it, if you will, if you read into it. Or if you read it, just again, you're going, okay, something's going on in this time frame, but we don't know exactly what the time frame was. And so he was content to live under the rule and the eyes of God. And as to the people, his heart was for them. But this, in this, we can be certain and confident of that the word of the Lord came to him. So that he, he might give faith, confidence, reliance, conviction of this prophecy that he, he, that he was assured of. He was confident in, in how he speaks. I don't know if he was young. I don't know if he was old. I, I don't know if, if he was shy and timid or if he was bold. Hopefully as we go through, we, we get a sense of, of this guy's character. Because one thing is for sure, he wasn't afraid to speak the Word of God. And, and however the Word of God comes to us, if it's just for us personally, that we would live it with conviction. If he gives us the Word of God, if he speaks to us, to, to give it out to people that we would give it out confidently, not in arrogance, but in confidence. Just like we see this young man, or, or this young man, I call him a young man. I'm thinking he's a young man. I'm 60-some years old. Everybody seems young now. So, so, so Joel here, he gives the word of God, and he is confident. He, he relies upon it, and he is convict, convicted of it. And so he, 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 he confidently passes it on, this prediction, this prophecy that would come to pass. And so verse 2 to verse 13. Hear this, you elders, and give ear to all inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? Or even in the days of your father's? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. What the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkard, and weep. And wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are like the teeth of, of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my vineyard or my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare 
and thrown it away, its branches are made white. Lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The land mourns for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree has withered. The pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are, with, are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. Gird yourself and lament, you priest. Wail, you, uh, you who minister before the altar. Come, lie all night in sackcloth. You who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of the Lord. The, the, the prophet opens up his message knowing that God had given him something. He is confident enough to speak it. Again, is he in the open square? Is, is, he, is he kind of just meeting with certain people? It just kind of sounds like, again, as he begins his ministry with the Word of God in his tongue, on his heart, he, he basically shouts out, Hear this, you elders. And so he opens up this message with an appeal to all those who were living in the land, headed up by the elders. And in this case, the reference could be to the old men of the city. But it could also be a reference to the elders that were civic leaders, who, who were in charge who maybe had been elected to offices, that he's pointing to them and saying, hear this, you who rule over the people. Or he's saying, hear this, you who are older, who have the experience and have lived a long life. Whoever he's talking to, the prominent players uh, that, 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 that ran the gubernatorial type judicial system, or if in fact he is referring to these old men who had experience, who, who could authenticate maybe the saying that he has. After all, for the most part, the elderly in most societies have been respected citizens or are respected citizens in their own right. And, and, and for reason of age... They have known and have heard much. I, I think oftentimes as we get a little older, as I get a little older, I, I realize, man, I got a lot of years under my belt. Which should translate to, I got a lot of wisdom under my belt. <laughs> and I came to the conclusion, I guess because I'm, I'm aging, last year when I turned 60, it's like, man, Lord, you have given me a lot. I have heard a lot. I have seen a lot. And I do have something to share. And, and, and so I understand that, again, as we get older, because some of the young bucks, they look at older people as like, what do you know? It's like, don't do that, man, because there is wisdom in the older people. And I know that sometimes the, the younger people, they look at the older people as like, man, you got to just dinosaurs. And we could be. I don't care. But there's wisdom that comes with that. And it's almost like, don't make fun of us because you're going to be there one day. You see, we can make fun of the, the young bucks all day long. We used to be there. But for the most part, there is, there, there is time. And because of time, there has been experiences. And so the prophet here is, is calling out to those who are the elders, and he also says, and give ear to all the inhabitants. 
young and old. Now, even though he captures the attention of the older people, he, he ends up saying, but all of you guys who dwell in the land, pay attention to the message that the Lord has given me. He says, has anything like this happened in your days? Or even in the days of your fathers? Tell, tell, it to your, or tell your children about it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. In those days, they all heard things from their fathers and from their father's fathers. History was always being passed down from generation to generation. Hearing the stories, having it documented if they could, but for the most part, it was, it was oral. They, they told them the history of what they used to... The, what, what, what they've gone through. And, and he's saying, has any of you guys, especially you older cats, have you ever seen anything that we've experienced in our life here that we just read about? You, you, you see, if Joel would have the support of these older people, then Joel will not just be a, a, a voice crying out in the wilderness going, who is this kid? Who is this guy? Who, when did he come on the scene? What credibility does he have? But if he could gain the respect of the older people and say, have you guys seen anything like this? Because I haven't. And they probably say, well, you're a young buckaroo. You know, that you, you haven't lived life like we have. And so he asked them, have you guys seen anything like this? And, and, and I'm sure they agreed with this prophet that the nation had never faced a catastrophe that they had been, been, or they had faced something that was so huge and monumental, it seemed like, that they had never seen something like this before. They had heard much from generations past but it was nothing to this caliber of this, this locust infestation of how it just kind of devastated the countryside and their land. But now, because this thing was something that even the older people had probably never seen, he turns around and says, well, now we have something to tell our children. And it was so interesting as I was thinking about this. You know, we've heard the stories of the greatest generation. And we've heard the stories of, of times past. And yet, this, in this time in history, many of us who, have been, who are getting older, we've never seen anything like what we're seeing right now in our lives, right? And it's almost like, oh good, now we have a story. Now we can, we can say, yes, my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren in the year 2020 when we all thought we had perfect vision of what we were going to see, we got blindsided and we didn't see it coming. But man, there was this catastrophe that happened that has shut down the whole world. And, and we're going to try, we'll probably exaggerate it just like everybody else does. But he says, with what we have gone through here, you're going to tell this to the next generations and the next ones after that. And it will be part of our history. Again, I wish I knew the timetable of that history of when this happened. I mean, locusts, situations like this have happened throughout histories, but it doesn't give us a specific time that it happened here in Israel in the southern kingdom. In verse 4, he says, what the chewing locusts left, the swarming locusts have eaten. What the swarming locusts left, the crawling locusts have eaten. And what the crawling locusts left, the consuming locusts has eaten. I know that in certain places throughout the world, even in recent history, you see these pictures of, of these locusts. And it just looks ominous. I don't know about you. 
I, I remember seeing something on the news, and, and it's like, that is just wild to see so many bugs like that. And, and I don't know if they're this big or that big, but they're just like creepy. I think it was last year or so where, um, where I think it was in uh, Las Vegas. They had all kinds of crazy grasshoppers all over the place. And it's just like creeping you out. Well, it was creeping me out because I'm going, that just, I, I wouldn't know how to react to that. I've never been around something that crazy. But here, we, we have this event in view of this massive invasion of locusts, which completely destroyed the land's vegetation, everything. A swarm of locusts can devastate the vegetation of a countryside quite rapidly, from my understanding, and, and quite thoroughly, <laughs> to where nothing can stop them. Again, how, how do you? Again, I went on the internet, you know, to look up all kinds of locust stuff, and you see all these people, man, you're just like, it's like, where do you start? You know, you don't want to open your mouth. You don't want to, it's like, how, how, where do you start? You can't stop it. Especially if they're coming in by the millions and millions and millions. And, and it seems like Joel here gives us four different Hebrew words to describe these locusts and this plague. And so again, there, apparently there's four different stages to the cycle of life of locusts. And so I'm looking on the internet to, f to see this, the way they start out and, and they're almost like, like they can crawl and then they end up growing and growing and they can get up to like two inches. <laughs> I'm thinking that's just creepy. The, the, the words probably convey the idea of, of this successive kind of swarm of locusts that are invading the land, each swarm destroying what the other people, what the other people, what the other locusts have left behind. Now, I want to read to you Joel 1, 4 in the Old King James. It says, that which the palmer wood or palmer worm has left, has left, has the locust eaten. And that which the locust hath left, hath the canker worm eaten. And that which the canker worm hath left, has the caterpillar eaten. And so we have. For, for these different locusts, four different Hebrew words. And so the chewing locust, the palmer worm, and I'm reading this from, from the Strong's, the Hebrew translations for these. The chew, chewing locust, the palmer worm, from an unused root meaning to devour a kind of locust. The swarming locusts, a locust from its rapid increase, grasshopper locusts. The crawling locusts, from an unused root meaning to lick up, a devourer, specifically a young locust, canker worm, caterpillar. The consuming locusts, the revenge... Re Revenger, or no, Ravenger, Raven, no, rav, Ravager, the Ravager, i.e., a locust, a caterpillar. Whew. They're all different sizes. They're coming in different forms, from crawling to flying to, to, to hopping to flying to, to, to all of that. So, so there's a succession here of the different types of locusts at their different times when they are progressing. And so in verse 5 through 7, 
He tells them, he says, Awake, you drunkard, and weep, and wail, you who drink, you, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine. For it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation shall come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are like the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion. He has laid waste my, vi my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. So after this devastation of, of all the locusts, there is a call to mourn, a call to consider the seriousness, the effects of such a thing that they had never, ever seen before. Now, even though there is a symbolism attached to this invasion of locusts, which portrays some kind of an invading army that would come in the future, what has happened to them is, is physical. It's real. It's affected their lives literally. Oh, there, there's something that is attached to it in future, but for right now, they're having to deal with the devastation in their life. And you can talk about all the symbolism of stuff that can go on, but how do I deal with it today? <laughs> Again, some of the stuff that we read in Scripture is like right on, far out, man. We're looking forward to it. How, how, how do I deal with my disaster today? And those are the kinds of things that we look at and we're going, okay, so all this has happened to them. And granted, the prophet is prophesying about something that, that will happen in the future. So first he tells the drunkard to awake, to snap out of that bender of his, to weep and to wail, not like a slobbering drunk, <laughs> the emotional drunk, but like someone who has kind of been made right and, and snapped out of this hangover that he was in. And, and, and so he, it, it's this, this word of, of awake, like waking him up, shaking him out of this, this drunkenness. He says, because of the new wine. Because you have been cut off. It's been cut off from your mouth. There will be no wine available because of this destruction. It, it, it's destroyed the vineyards. In, in, in other words, there isn't going to be any new wine in this following year. In, in this moment, it's been devastated. It probably won't be here next year either. And, and we probably won't have anything for the next two years. It says, for a nation, it seems like, a nation has come against my land. And, and, and he get, gives us this picture that it is something that, that has to do with an army later on. But, but he says, it's like this mighty nation that is innumerable, without number, that looks like the swarm of the swarm of, of locusts that has invaded the prophet's land. But it wasn't really the prophet's land. It was the Lord's land. And we see that specifically because he speaks through the prophet, and the Lord says, It's my land that has been devastated. It is my vine that has been devastated. It is my fig tree. That has been destroyed and, and devastated. This nation that would come in eventually would be like the chewing locusts, which had the ability to devour, much like a lion would devour its prey. To be able to, to rip it apart. To be able to tear it apart with no problemo. The, 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 
the power of these locusts that were coming in, that had come in, but that, again, we get a picture of a nation, but these chewing locusts, man, they were destructive. So much so that they literally did destroy the land, destroy the vine, destroy the fig tree. So much so that they were able to destroy all of these things and leave it bare. Almost like you have left nothing behind. Oh, but wait. <laughs> they have left quite a bit behind still. This chewing locust was destructive. And it left the, the branches white. You know when the bark gets taken off a certain tree or something, you see it's a different color, almost a whitish. Look, that's what he's talking about there. In, in verse 8, he says, Lament. Like a virgin, gird with sackcloth for her, her husband, for the husband of her youth. The grain offering and the drink offering have been cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn who minister to the Lord. The field is wasted. The, the land mourns. For the, for the grain is ruined. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. It seems like the next call to, to, to mourning, to lament, would be for the land itself. Jerusalem. To mourn over this, this devastation. The, the, the land basically is being personified as, as a young virgin or a young woman. She is told to weep bitterly or to mourn bitterly to lament as if she is a bride to be a bride or a bride to be who is now mourning the unexpected death of the man that she was betrothed to that she was about to marry because because he's gone and it's almost like this swarming locust Killed off any hope. Any hope of offering anything to the Lord. Not because they didn't want to offer to the Lord. They just didn't have nothing to offer. Because the swarming locusts, they came in after the chewing locusts. And they devastated even more what these guys had left behind. What these locusts, the other locusts had, had left behind. And it was almost like the land being personified as a young virgin had nothing. There was no more fruit. Again, almost like a virgin whose, whose betrothed husband, fiancé, has died and they never even got to consummate the marriage to produce fruit. They never even had the chance. They never had the, the hope. The all hope was gone because of that. Because of this swarming locust that came in after the chewing locust and has just kind of consumed everything and she can't even, the land can't produce anything. And so he says, gird up or, or gird, girded with sackcloth. It, it, it was no time to be stoic to try to brave through this this. This devastation, what the prophet Joel is, is, is saying is, don't minimize the suffering. It's hard. It's, 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 it's devastating. It has hurt us badly here. The sackcloth was this coarse, dark cloth worn in mourning. And it was an outward expression of true sorrow. And the, and, and, and the prophet is telling the land that, that's personified in this virgin, it's like, no, you have been devastated and it hurts. I think one of the other primary reasons for lamenting and mourning in this case was that this devastation, this plague, the, 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 the negative effects of it what was that it kind of ruined and stopped the formal worship that would take place in the land. 
the destruction of the crops, the grain, the, 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 the grapes, the oil. It left the priest who served in the house of the Lord without anything, nothing. Nothing for the daily sacrifices. Everything was gone. Again, including the flour and the oils, the drink offerings, everything, including the wine. It's a devastating time <laughs> that these people are going through. I wish I knew the, exactly the time. Verse 11, it says, Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The wine has dried up, and the fig tree has withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. The, the, the phrase, be ashamed, can also be translated, be disappointed. Be in despair. You, you see, the farmer and the vine dresser, the vine grower, had, no reason, had the reason to mourn because the fruit of his labor has been destroyed by the crawling locusts that came in after, after the other locusts. The crawling locusts, they, they came in, and, and it's amazing to think that there's still anything left for, for any other locust to come in and devour and consume. But there was still wheat and barley. And it mentions five kinds of fruit trees. The grapes, which is a vine, but the fig tree, the pomegranate tree, the dates from a palm tree, and the apples. All these were essential for those people. All those things, they lived off of these things. And whatever the chewing locust left behind, the swarming locust had, 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 had chewed up, had come in, and now the crawling locust has, has literally come in and everything seems like it's gone. Everything. And the farmer who has worked so hard has just seen everything vanish. Oh, I'm sure the first go around with the chewing locust, he says, there it goes. And, and, and then maybe, again, maybe there was some time when the other, the swarming locust came and he's going, whatever was left is definitely gone. And maybe he went out there and he's like, well, I still have some barley and some wheat. And here comes the crawling locust. Surely, it says, joy has withered away from the sons of men imagine you, you you could imagine a farmer who has worked so hard been so patient for his crops and now it's all devastated and gone because usually for a farmer at harvest time there's a lot of work but there's a lot of joy associated with that because all the fruit all the the work he's going to 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 bring in all the fruit of his labor and he's going to be able to take all that to market. But he has nothing. It's all withered. The harvest is withered. And so did the joy. See, disappointment and despair are the opposite of joy, isn't it? When you're, when, when you're disappointed, when you're in despair, man, it's hard to be joyous. And so the prophet says, man, all of that is gone. Verse 13. Gird yourself and lament, you priest. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, lay all night in sackcloth, you who minister to my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. And so now the, the priests are brought in, are also brought in and told, to take part in the wailing, in the lamenting. 
because as already kind of noted back in verse 9, all the ingredients for the daily sacrifices and offerings are no longer available. In, in, uh, in other words, anything that was left, <laughs> anything, the consuming locusts came along and ravaged, ransacked, pillaged the ground like a caterpillar because that's what it identifies it as, the caterpillar part of it. They probably were named last because they move a lot slower and they can't jump. <laughs> it's just kind of like... Oh. But you could picture a caterpillar, man. I don't know if you've ever grown tomato plants. And you see those big old hunking green caterpillars. Those things devour everything if you don't stop it. So you can imagine the hundreds of thousands of millions of them that came in because it's believed that when, when, uh, when, um, when locusts lay eggs, they just lay a lot of them, hundreds of them. And when they're out, man, they, they, can, they can advance. These, these types, the, the consuming ones, can advance four to 600 feet a day as they're going. Again, to, 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 you can't walk without squashing them. And so they methodically cover the ground. And at this point, everything, everything has been consumed. It was a devastating time. Now, I know, or I don't know the exact time that the prophet Joel is writing this prophecy. And it makes it hard to know exactly what was the situation going on in the southern kingdom at that time. Well, you can go back to the, to, to the book of Kings and kind of cover all these kings who, and, and what they were doing. We know that the northern kingdom, they were wicked the whole time. And again, judgment was coming. We, we saw a lot of that through the book of Hosea. But, but, but in, in, in the southern kingdom, even though they had... They had good kings and bad kings. Again, for the most part, they were doing what was good, although they had a lot of evil there. And so was God already pre preparing them for the judgment that would be coming? Again, when you're going through the kings, and, and, and they had their ups and downs. But what exactly, what which king was it that there was this devastating, because it doesn't tell us in the book of Kings, of any kind of plague like this. Oh, they had other issues, they had issues, but never to this extent. And even though this was something that had truly happened in the southern kingdom, it was also prophesied perhaps of the impending invasion of both kingdoms. Because you see, again, if he is if he is from 850 to 700, it would be at about 12, uh, 721 that the northern kingdom would be taken, taken captive. So it would be around his lifetime that, that the northern kingdom would be taken, taken away. But is he speaking to them or is he truly just speaking to the southern kingdom? Because it would be another 135 years that they would be taken away. And so it could be that he's talking about the impending invasions of both kingdoms. The theme, as we close up here, the theme of the book of Joel is the day of the Lord. And it also is a picture that foreshadows this book. It foreshadows in times, the end times of Israel's age. That is the time of the Gentiles. And the time of the Gentiles would, would be a time and it would begin not with the, with, with the invasion of the northern kingdom, but with the invasion of the southern kingdom when, when Jerusalem would be destroyed. And, and that is when King Babylon, or King Babylon, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, would come in and he would bring in the, the, the destruction of, of Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem will be ruled 
by the Gentiles. And they would be ruled by the Gentiles until a stone is cut without hands, as, as is spoken by the prophet Daniel in chapter 2, i.e. the second coming of the Lord. So for all this time, from the time that they were taken captive in 587, still into the future state, Jerusalem continues to be in this time of the Gentiles. And it won't be until the end of the age, around Revelation 19, that Jerusalem, up until that time, will be trampled by the Gentiles, as Jesus put it in Luke 21. Let me read to you what Jesus says here. In Luke 21, 20 to 24. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judah, Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in, the, in her midst in the midst of her depart and let not those who are in the country enter her for these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing who are nursing babies in those days for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon the people and they shall fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. It's interesting because in 70 AD, it looked like the time of the Gentiles was about to come to an end. But it wasn't going to be so. You see, it was still a foreshadow of the day of the Lord. And the prophet is going to speak about those things and we will get into those things as we go in deeper into the book of Joel. The day of the Lord is still on the horizon. It's still in front, but Joel will prophesy about those things. And again, was the locust just a foreshadow? Not just of what truly happened, but what would happen when the invading armies would come of what would happen in 70 A.D., of what would happen at the end of the age, because that's the way it's kind of looking in that direction. Read ahead. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for your word once again. Grateful, Lord God, for the book of Joel. Lord, I pray that you would just help me, Lord, as I, as I dig in deeper to just, just find that place, Lord God, of just knowing more and more about what you're telling uh, Joel, what he's speaking. Father, help me to do it some justice, Lord, as we go through this time. I pray for my brothers and sisters that again, Lord God, even these devastating things that happened in the past, you were still with your people, even, even through all of it, because you spoke to them. You warned them. You acknowledged them. And I pray, God, that whatever we go through, as devastating as it might be, that, Lord, we would understand that, Lord, you're still in control no matter what comes our way that comes and destroys. And so, Lord, we continue to look to you for wisdom, understanding. Please go before us, we ask. We love you, Lord. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.